by popular demand. It's our post-game edition here in Ball Arena of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster with me, J.J. Jerez, and of course, Arif Dean here to break down the 3-2 to two overtime victory in Game 1 over the St. Louis Blues. Five wins in the row five wins in a row in the playoffs here and Arif it's been 18 days well I guess now that it's almost midnight we could call it 19 days since the Avalanche have last lost a hockey game so you're telling me that when they went 1-5-1 and to end the regular season it the sky wasn't falling no it's actually still up there it didn't fall nice good to know well i mean my brain's about to fall out of my head because we have a guy with a leaf blower here at ball arena cleaning the garbage with a leaf blower so if you hear any background noise we are so very sorry but this is backed by popular demand i know how much you guys love these in games one and two we wanted to bring it out for games three and four it didn't end up working out with peter out in uh, nashville so we're gonna try to do that this round but um yeah that was an incredible game and i think we need to talk about it yeah, for, let me just really touch, really quickly touch on the leaf blower guy. I think he's focusing less on trash and more on the pom pom strands that gotcha. fell. Right, so that's what he's focusing on. That's why we haven't seen that stupid machine here before. But if you hear it in the background, we apologize. We're doing our best here in an almost empty ball arena. But yeah, let's get into that game a little bit deeper. It felt a lot like Game Two from the Nashville series, right? Avalanche completely dominated almost doubled their opponent in shots and had to squeak it out in overtime. Yeah, 54 shots to just 25 for the St. Louis Blues. And I know there was a 13 to nothing shot discrepancy in overtime, which in itself is mind-blowing considering that overtime ended in eight minutes and two seconds. Zero shots from the St. Louis Blues in overtime. None. None. And just like the Nashville game, you kind of felt like if the Avalanche don't get this ASAP, and St. Louis is a lot more opportunistic, as Jared Bednar said, but it kind of had that feel that if the Avalanche don't get this going, ASAP, St. Louis is going to get one opportunistic rush the other way, and they're going to score on their first look. And that's kind of what happened with Mark Stone in Game 5 last year against the Vegas Golden Knights, which sent the series back to Vegas trailing 3-2 to and on the brink. So the Avalanche, even before the overtime period, 41-25 in shots. They kind of took over in the second period where it was 19-9. to um, that was kind of the, the difference there. And even in the third period, they kept it up even though they surrendered the only goal. So it was an incredible performance by the Avalanche that once again just kind of continued what they were doing in the first round. It doesn't feel like they let the game get away from them. And I know that game one against Vegas last year was similar in terms of just total domination. But it's different this year. And last year's not this year, like Gabe said. But it's different this year in the sense that you kind of expected the Avalanche to beat Vegas last year. They switched their goalie. They had played two nights earlier against Minnesota. Well, this time the Avalanche and the Blues were both fresh. They were both rested. They were both ready to rock. And the Avalanche came out and did that to them. And that's just, I don't want to say I didn't expect it, but I also didn't expect it. Like they, they came out and they said, we are going to do the exact same thing to this team that had over 100 points and was one of the best teams in the NHL this year that we did to the team that barely squeaked into the playoffs. It's one game, but it was an incredible performance. Right, and looking back at that game two from the first round of the Nashville series, Connor Ingram was the, the biggest hiccup, the biggest hurdle for the Avalanche to overcome in that game, right? Where tonight, Jordan Bennington wasn't necessarily playing out of his mind or even playing well. The Avalanche hit, what was it, four posts, um, a handful of missed nets, a handful of over the crossbar shots and a handful of you know open opportunities JT Comfort that were just, coughing it up Eric Johnson, Eric Johnson whiffing right. just slightly and letting uh, Bennington get to it the way that I saw the game you know what's funny 
in that game, Connor Ingram game, the Avalanche outshot the Predators 51 to 26. They had three more shots today and gave up one fewer. So they technically had a better performance tonight than they did in that game two against Nashville. Like mm-hmm. that is mind blasting to me, not even mind blowing. That like just completely is outrageous to think because that Connor Ingram game in game two felt like a completely one-sided affair. And that's what today was. The crazy thing is, is uh, Jordan Binnington's performance was a tale of two different guys. First half of the game, it was exactly that. It was a lot of like, holy shit, this guy's getting lucky. Through mm-hmm. 40 minutes, it was Eric Johnson not, not getting, not, I don't want to say not getting all of it, but barely getting any of it on that desperation save where he damn near dislocated his shoulder from its socket mm-hmm. to go to, to reach far enough to get that puck that was just kind of sliding its way through. JT Comfer having that incredible chance where he, you know, had a chance to get the puck and kind of slide it in and it just got away from him. Devon Taves had that one chance in front where instead of going wide to the far post, he tried to slide at five hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, post after post after post. I remember one of them was lecking in. Uh, just a lot of chances. And then the second half of the game, we saw Bennington start to make some nice saves. He had one on Valentushkin in overtime. He had a couple there on the power play in regulation. Um, he really started to pick it up, but it still wasn't enough. Absolutely. And then you saw the puck luck being a thing again, right? As I mentioned, as you mentioned, a couple missed opportunities, but you also saw a couple, I guess, missed passes early, right? The question came up again in the press conference. Did you guys feel rusty? Everybody denied it. No rusty, but I definitely saw a little bit of rust there, at least from a mental standpoint, right? I think there's one thing in terms of skill when you're playing hockey and you're going through practices throughout the week, you're going to keep up with the skill, but maybe the mental level of the game slips a little bit. And that's kind of what I saw early on. They could corrected it after that first period they did but both of their goals were were mental lapses the o'reilly shot i don't want to call it a mental lapse as much as it was a uh, fortuitous bounce very fortuitous bounce as uh somebody i forget who tweeted that it was like the pl- like it plinkoed its way to o'reilly mm-hmm. just kind of like beep, 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 right to his stick and o'reilly right in front of the crease with this much space to go to the backhand and put it to the top of the net we've seen him do that before he's done it for years um the second goal they got four guys on the pk and jared bedner spoke in length about this right now post game about all four of the guys changing all at once not having two guys stay back he called it a lack of discipline a lack of carelessness um where you know you want to switch to get the healthier bodies on the ice or not the healthier but fresh bodies on the ice but you got to keep two guys back and let two guys change on the strong side and keep the other two guys on the weak side he went into the whole thing about how it was a very poor decision by the PKers after killing off 90 seconds of a pretty great PK before surrendering that goal to Jordan Cairo. So the biggest thing for me uh, to take away from both of those goals, um, and that was a very, very long-winded way of Arif taking over the podcast once again, <laughs> but the biggest thing for me for both of those goals that I just explained is two very correctable mental lapses. The St. Louis Blues, like the Avalanche put on a clinic against this team. I don't think we can speak enough about just how dominating a performance that was. And I know it's just game one, but this is a good Blues team. This is a team that we're hearing about being able to match the Avalanche's depth to being able to match the Avalanche shot for shot and goal for goal. And I didn't see it tonight. And and I don't know what it's going to take for them to rebound, but I haven't seen it from the oppositional playoffs. I know the first four games were in Nashville, but what the Avalanche did today and the way that St. Louis scored their goals didn't give me a lot to feel like St. Louis has a chance in the series unless something truly genuinely changes. Even Bennington couldn't stop it. 
again, I hate to keep comparing it to game two of the last round, but it feels like that again where this might have been St. Louis's best effort, their best attempt yep. at a at a at a steal of a game. At a steal of a game and they their shot attempts, the Avalanche doubled them with just shots on goal. They didn't even have enough shot attempts. So um, yeah, definitely a dominating, dominating performance from the Avalanche, and, and you know, if you're St. Louis, you got to be pretty deflated after giving it your all, giving it that much of an effort, and still coming up way short. Um, but let's get into the physicality, right? I think shout out to Peter Ball, our co-host and friend, um, for calling it the other night. We, I guess, I thought it was going to be a more physical series, and definitely was not. It was definitely a more focused, more defensive series. I would say both teams really focusing on that defense and trying to slow. Um, each other down so I guess the physical side only 86 hits tonight right in the uh, Nashville only, games yeah right it, it's a lot but in the Nashville games we were over 100 so right yeah, there you can sure. see the, the physicality has taken a little bit of a step back in round two but who are the guys that are leading the charge? It's Eric Johnson with six. It's Nicholas Ave Kubel with six. And it's Gabe Landeskog with six. Those are the guys that you needed to step up. And then just a, a fresh a breath air. Other way around. <laughs> a breath of fresh air. Darren Helm with five hits. I'm loving what he's been doing in the playoffs from the first game. I can't believe I just whiffed on that. That was brutal. But uh, it's the guys that you expect to lay out the hits are the guys that are doing it. But most importantly, what like you said, what Peter was saying was so spot on that like you knew St. Louis came out and you know wanted to come out and say, forget the physicality, let's try to beat this team, and just just an epic fail. Not only were they not able to beat the Avalanche and match them in terms of offense and offensive chances, but the Avalanche outhit the Blues and did it by eight, even though they controlled the puck for most of the time. Usually when you're controlling the puck, you're the team getting out hit because obviously the team on its heels is the one laying out the the, the, the hits yeah, and, and the point. avalanche were not the one that were allowing that. I mean, the blues had 45 shot attempts, shot attempts, shots on goal, plus block shots, plus missed shots. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. And the abs got 54 shots on goal. So and 106 had... shot attempts. Right. They had more yeah. on goal than the blues did just go off of the blade of their stick. I don't think it came out of my mouth and my brain yeah. the right way. No, I no, I knew what you were trying to get to. There's an obvious difference and a lack of sharpness in our post-game pods here, Yeah, I think. for sure. It's it's 11.58 <laughs> p.m. right now, so it's it's a, it's a been a long night. But you know what? It's fine. People love these, and uh, so do I. So we'll keep bringing them out to you. But, yeah, the biggest thing for me is the fact that, um, again, like the Blues were no match. This was a more one-sided discrepancy in shots and chances and high danger and quality opportunities than game two against Nashville. So what about this says to me, and again, I don't want to get quoted later as like, you idiot, you're, you, you overhyped the avalanche. But like, what about this game says to me that the Blues can rebound? I know every game in the playoffs is its own demon or it's its own beast, I should say. And things could come out differently. Obviously the avalanche in round one, we saw the same thing happen every night. Boom. Boom, boom, boom. They dominated every single thing. But look at the other series. Toronto versus Tampa Bay. Toronto came out in game one like gangbusters. Tampa Bay dominated game two. Toronto dominated game three. Tampa Bay dominated. So we, you know that that momentum can shift. But I'm just curious where it's going to come from from the Blues here in game, in game two on Thursday, I should say. Yeah, definitely didn't seem like they had too much momentum at any point of the game. And if they did, it was at the very beginning and it quickly got ripped away from them once the avalanche kind of got used to the pace again and got used to everything mentally like i said um yeah so let's get into josh manson right obviously the what a delightful guy. hero of the day um i think what really stood out to me 
was his press conference quote there when he said how much he loved the mindset of the team after they got scored on in the first goal. Nobody changed anything. They knew that they were going to come back. They had the confidence in themselves, and they just had to keep doing what they were doing, and that's what they did, and it worked. Yeah, and I love that. I love the fact that, um, you know, the Avalanche, I mean, they came out pretty well. Sam Gerrard had the first golden opportunity of the night, if you remember, in the first period before the Blues got the one nothing lead. And I think they even had hit a post by then. So the Avalanche knew they were playing well. They knew they had some good chances. They knew that from the opening faceoff, like Jared said, there was no rust. They looked well. They looked like they were playing well. And then the puck plane goes to Ryan O'Reilly. He does his thing, backhander goal. And, you know, again, it goes back to the mindset of the team. And I know Manson wasn't here last year to kind of say like, oh, last year, this is what we would have felt. And this year, this is how we felt. But just the way that he explained how the team just kind of was like, we're good, we're fine. Is, is very refreshing because this is a team that we've seen kind of mentally beat itself up in the past and uh, it doesn't seem like they're going to allow that to happen this time around and I know it's just game one but it, it looked like they really rebounded well from that in terms of just a mental standpoint of like you come out, you're dominating, you're not going to get deflated and kind of what I'm curious to see, again, you can't manufacture adversity but at some point they're going to lose one of these games that game two against nashville that game one against st louis at some point you're gonna have a night like that and you're gonna lose and i'm very curious to see how the post-game press conference sounds and i'm very curious to see how they come out the next game to basically have that same mindset because you are going to eventually face adversity you're not going to go 16 and 0 in the playoffs so are they going to come out after losing a game like this and just talk about how it's fine or are they going to be frustrated and let it get to them Right. I've talked a lot of times over the last couple of weeks about the even kill mindset that they're obviously running with. Right. And that's exactly what you're saying there. I mean, if they take a punch in the mouth and they face a loss, chances are this even kill mindset's going to prevail and they're going to be back to right, right back to where they were. The only thing that's funny to me is how even kill and how focused they've been. But when they get one of these overtime goals, the entire bench goes bananas, Lose like their mind. more so than I feel is normal. And the last time they played in overtime last year, we saw how they lost that game to Mark Stone and the Vegas Golden Knights. And um, I think every like every game matters. Every game is its own beast. And, and, and I think they're very much aware how important it is to get those chances, score those chances, especially given the way that they've played both these overtime periods where, you know, they've outshot the Blues today 13 to nothing. And, and against the... Uh, against the national predators they had nine shots in overtime and outshot them nine to six um they don't want to let these kinds of games slip away so it's more of like this relief and and the excitement it's the adrenaline and uh, for josh manson his first ever career nhl playoff goal like holy shit does it get any better than that scored in overtime yep and he did it on four shots which was pretty uh I guess just good to see him good offensively getting the puck to the net. Yeah, I mean, that, he had a couple that didn't quite make it to the net, so yeah. he, he's shooting the puck. There was there was really quick. There was that one opportunity where the Avalanche had a counterattack, and it was a three-on-two, and I was like, oh, here come the Avalanche. And then I made a joke to you of like, and the rush is led by number 42, yep. Josh Manson, and he comes into the zone, goes between the hash marks, hash marks circles back to the point, makes a nice pass off to Kadri or whoever to lock it in and, and like it turned into a golden opportunity like he mm-hmm. played it really well he's got some offensive upside to him oh yeah he knows how to create space he knows how to manipulate his opponent and I, yeah I think we saw a this, lot of that tonight this team brings it out of everybody on, mm-hmm. on on the blue line and I love it with that let's get into Sam Gerrard's game seven shots on goal out of Sam Gerrard and it just looked like he isn't quite 
back to himself, but he's making progress, right? Seeing him on the on the score sheet's great, and seeing a lot of the plays he was making were good. There could have been some cleaner moments, but I think Sam Girard had a pretty solid game tonight. Yeah, I think so as well, and I saw him do that turnage there late in regulation, and just just that confidence of having him kind of enjoy what he's doing. It kind of reminds me of Burakovsky early in the season where he was snapping his stick against the boards and all these things in practice while playing for the first-place avalanche. Like, he just wasn't having a good time, and it felt like for a while Sam Gerrard wasn't having a good time, and it's getting that, that, that excitement back into his game is what makes him great. Like, that's what made him great for almost two years before he kind of took a little bit of a dip late in the playoffs last year. And then, uh, you know, that kind of carried over into this year in terms of offensive production and confidence and just kind of the boneheaded mistake. So for Sam, that was a great step in the right direction. Obviously, he scored a goal. He had seven shots. He had a ton of hits. He had a lot of opportunities. Um, and it seemed like he was doing it while kind of banged up physically as well. Like he was a little hurt. Throughout the entire regular season, we saw how much the defensive group contributed, right? I mean, from a point standpoint, from a win standpoint, the defensive group kind of was the heart and soul of this team. As much talent as there is on the forward group, the defense really led the way, and it was kind of similar tonight. Here's a couple fun stats, right? Two goals out of defensemen. Of course, we got Josh Manson and Sam Girard. 25 shots out of the defensemen. So two goals on 25 shots, whereas the forwards had one goal on 29 shots. I did not realize they had 25 shots. That's incredible. The, the, the Avalanche's defense had as many shots as the St. Louis Blues. Yep. Is what you're telling me. That's exactly what I'm telling you. And the Avalanche played six defensemen, not seven <laughs> like the Blues. That's incredible. Also, shout out to Josh Manson. He had an assist as well. So he had one goal and an assist tonight. Uh, he came into this he came into this uh, series with four playoff points, and he's already got two. So just an incredible performance. I mean, I, I love that. And, and Kel McCarr also had an assist initially on the Nichushkin goal that was later taken away and given to McKinnon. So... Just seeing the Avalanche's defense continue to do what they did all season, like they blew away any other team in terms of defensive, uh, offensive production from the blue line. Uh, they were, I think it was like more than 40 points more than the second best team in the NHL this year. Like it was just crazy numbers and, mm -hmm. and, and they're going to keep it going in the playoffs. Kel McCarr's got 10 points in five games and he had zero today. He had 10 in the first round. I mean, you don't want to be shocked because we saw it all season. But the fact that it's still producing at this level and it's the playoffs and they're kind of still carrying the weight, that's definitely something I didn't anticipate. And if it continues, I mean, this team What's gonna cannot stop be stopped. It cannot What's be stopped. Stop Kel McCarr and Devon Taves, not, it's, it's not going to be a lot of games where you're going to keep those two off the score sheet. So for St. Louis to keep Taves and McCarr off the score sheet and keep McKinnon outside of an assist off the score sheet, Landeskog, well, Landeskog had a big part in the last goal, so I'm not going to say him, but to keep those guys off the score sheet and still lose has got to be deflating because you know they're going to come back and they're going to put up points. And uh, that's the beauty of this. I mean, Eric Johnson, we talked about it. He had a wide open net and whiffed on the puck, nearly got any of it. Uh, otherwise, he would have had one as well. Not Kale McCarr's best game, but nice to see that the, the other guys on the group can carry the weight when Kale McCarr isn't. Yeah, how funny is that? Kale McCarr is a defenseman. He played 29 minutes and 12 seconds, by the way, almost four minutes more than the next most guy in Devon Taves, which you never see that. Usually, McCarr and Taves are kind of like, like right there with each other in terms of uh, time on ice. But as a defenseman, if you don't, if you're not noticeable, it usually means you've had a pretty decent night because you're not giving the puck away. You're not causing any bad turnovers. You're not noticeable because you're not doing anything boneheaded to be noticeable 
that's kind of the game that Kale McCarr had today. He had three takeaways, which is incredible in its own right. He had one block shot. He had a couple hits. He obviously had the one giveaway, which was that plinko puck that went right to O'Reilly. Four shots and then another four that were blocked. So all things considered, Kale McCarr had a good night. Kale McCarr's standards, not very good night. Right. And, and that tells you all you need to know about the level of skill this guy provides every night. Exactly. I think the fun stat I was just noticing when you were rattling off the time on ice there, Kale McCarr with 29 minutes and 12 seconds in 32 shifts. Val Nachushkin with 30 shifts, so just two less. 22 minutes, seven-minute difference in two shifts. That's what happens when you play 44 seconds of average shift length for Nichushkin and 54 for Kale. Kale has got the stamina of a horse, and, and Val, as Landis got called him, is a train. Val goes out there for 44 seconds, just whipping back and forth, full energy, full force, and then he's got to go for a change. And that's what I love about Val's game. He goes at 100% the entire time he's on the ice. One's a horse, one's a train. Love it. Let's uh, get into the face-offs. I think, you know, often overlooked often um you know a weak point of the avalanche but they did really well in the face-off dot winning 64 percent of the face-offs um i I think it was pivotal you know again we often like to overlook the face-off stat and consider it meaningless but tonight it it had effect it had an impact nathan mckinnon's face-off on that first goal was everything right i mean that's what really generated it for for val nachushkin so um cadre going eight wins with nine face-offs Comfer going five wins on six face-offs and uh basically i think it's wild looking at ryan o'reilly's face-off numbers 26 wins on 26 of the 53 face-offs for st louis were taken by ryan o'reilly yeah i got 28 here on the updated sheet and and of those 28 he only won 12 so he was well down below his average he was at 43 percent uh, the beauty of what I'm seeing here, and <laughs> I was thinking about this throughout the game. Um, first of all, Nathan McKinnon took 23 of the total faceoffs, and there was only 54 in the game, or 53 in the game. You never see Nathan McKinnon take that many. But that's what happens when you take Landis Gog off his wing. Well, now Landis Gog's playing on Kadri's wing. Landis Gog won 5 of 6, Kadri won 8 of 9. So 8 1, 5 1. I don't want to say I have a theory, but I have this idea in my head that it makes sense that you have Landis Gog playing with Kadri because the dude gets kicked out of the face-off circle more than anybody I've ever seen, and he needs the extra face-off guy more than McKinnon does, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and it's nice to have him there because together, you know, not that Landis Gog's face-offs were all even strength because he did take some power play face-offs, but together, that second line won 13 of 15 face-offs. They're going to control the puck, and when they control the puck and you got puck possession guys like Kadri and Lekkinen and Landis Gog, What's going to take it away from them? And it's so important to win those face-offs, especially in crucial moments. And, and we saw it lead to some goals here. Yeah. And, I mean, you just look at the face-off count, right, with Nathan McKinnon at 23 and Ryan O'Reilly at 28. You know that those two are going head-to-head. And, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty even. Um, but just the fact that Nathan McKinnon can keep it even versus a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, I think, says a lot about where his face-off game has come in the last year. The last two weeks yeah i mean this is not something that we expected from him even in the first round so it's great to see him kind of picking it up here it's it's really crucial again especially against teams like the st louis blues that have a lot of guys that possess the puck and do it for long periods of time so all that being said what are we expecting for game two thursday night right here back at ball arena um i guess are you 
Are you anticipating any adjustments? Do you see a similar game coming out of each team, or just what, what do you predict here? There's nothing to change if you're the Avalanche. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't want to say it was a question mark or a head-scratcher, but I thought it was interesting. That's the word I'm going to use. That I thought it was interesting that Jared took O'Connor out, put Cogliano back in, and kept Abe Kubel in the lineup. But Abe Kubel had an excellent game. He did his part. Once again, the Avalanche showed with their performance that they are not lacking offense. They don't need Alex Newhook's offensive abilities right now because what's the point of playing Alex Newhook if he's going to play the 13 minutes that Abe Kubel played or the 9 minutes that Cagliano played? Abe Kubel in his 13 minutes had 6 hits. He was one of the most... He was the leader on the avalanche, like I was saying, with Eric Johnson and Gabe Landeskog. You're not going to get that from Newhook. And you're not having a problem producing offense, which... Exactly. Is That's what I'm trying to say, is that, like, you don't need to go to the well for this offensive kid. I thought it was interesting that Jared went back to the lineup that started game one before Cagliano's injury. And despite the fact that he's playing a deeper team, despite all the changes, he said, I'm going to go right back to what I was planning in the beginning of the playoffs. And it worked. And, and I think that's great for the Avalanche. They're going to keep doing what they do. And if you're St. Louis, you better be adjusting some things. But that's for them to figure out. On our side, I think the Avalanche just got to come out and play the same exact game. They've been doing it for five games now. They're, they're averaging well over 45 shots per game in the playoffs. Yep, and St. Louis has to be thanking their lucky stars that Nathan McKinnon did not score a goal tonight, but there's a good chance they're not going to be able to hold them off that much longer. Him or Kale McCarr, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I will say real quickly, I um, and it's not because of what he did tonight, but because I just think it's going to happen. We are going to see Billy Huso at some point in the series. Oh, yeah. I think... I think St. Louis would be silly not to at yeah. this point. You're you're gonna need to use both your guys if you're putting, if you're, if you're taking 54 shots a game, and you're playing every other night, that the other goalie's not gonna play every single game. And we mentioned the post, we mentioned the missed nets. Think about how many pucks actually beat Bennington just didn't get within the, yeah. the, the first, red. The first posts. half of the game, the Avalanche legitimately could have had five or six. Mm-hmm. So um, they can easily put up five or six on Bennington at any point, and then there you go. you got a goalie controversy on their hands all over again. But, um, yeah, that's everything I wanted to get into and for this game. The last thing to close it out before we mm-hmm. close this out, I think this is a really cool stat that uh, the NHL record for most wins against any single team in the playoffs is nine. Uh, there's quite a few teams that are up there at nine. The Avalanche are currently at eight against the St. Louis Blues. Mm. They won tonight. They won four straight last year, the sweep. And then in 2001, you got to go back from 2021 to 2001, the last time these two teams met. It was a 1-1 series after the first two games of the Western Conference Final, and then the Avalanche won three straight to make it to the Cup Final. So the Avalanche have won eight straight against the St. Louis Blues on Thursday. They can match the NHL record and go nine straight in the playoffs against them. Just an interesting number, even though it goes back 20 years after last year's week. The name Roman Czechmonic pops into my head. Was he in that? Roman Turek. Roman Wrong Turek. Roman. Wrong Roman Turek. Roman Czechmonic was on the Flyers. Yeah. Yeah. Right, Roman Turek. Roman, Roman Turek was in goal that year. Right on. Well, we'll see if they can make it six in a row. Of course, we don't want to get too excited about six playoff wins in a row because that's exactly what they did last year. So once say. they get that seventh... Um, you know, maybe we'll get a little bit more pumped about it, but uh, we'll see what happens on Thursday. Hopefully, they don't keep us here till twelve thirty at night like they did tonight. Take care of business. Let's see another blowout. Head into St. Louis, up to nothing with all St. Louis's confidence shot. That would be great, and that would be massive for this team. I think the biggest thing for the Avalanche is not just to get out of the second round, but to try to get out of the second round unscathed. 
try to get a three nothing or three to one series lead and then really put 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 you know put an end to it as soon as you can don't let this be a hard fought series you're gonna play if you can get out of this round you're gonna have tough competition in the third round one of those battle of alberta teams that are gonna beat the shit out of each other for seven games and then you know potentially a stanley cup final you need to get out of the central division as unscathed as possible yeah i mean i don't want to say sweep but Imagine if they can sweep, because they absolutely can. Call it a gentleman's sweep. They can absolutely they sweep this can. round. Yes. Imagine they do, and they're heading into the third round like, hey, when, when, when were these playoffs supposed to start? Where are these other playoff teams here? So, um, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us here on the post-game edition of the podcast right here on Hockey Mountain High. Presented by Avalanche Podcast. Presented by Total Beverage in Thornton, Westminster. Dang, I kind of like that. We should do that more often. Where I say Hockey Mountain High, you say your go-to Avalanche Podcast, and then we have Peter say the part about Total Beverage. Love it. Maybe get Patrick <laughs> to say some things again, like he used to. Um, but yeah, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We love every one of you, and we love you especially if you love our post-game podcast. So we did this just for you. Um, let us know what you think about it. And other than that, you know, let's keep enjoying these playoffs. So thanks for hanging out with us. If you made it this far in the podcast. It wasn't that hard. But bless your pretty little hearts anyway. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.